gentlemen, boys and girls, general agents, you are listening to Brandon's World, live on this Monday, September 13th, 2021, the first NFL Sunday of the 2021 NFL season is in the books. Now, we have a ton to get to today, including everything that went down in the National Football Week, both Thursday night in Tampa Bay, and, of course, everything that went on yesterday in the National Football Week. Plus, went down on Friday night, SmackDown, in Madison Square Garden, the most legendary arena in sports. And, spoiler alert, I thought it was the best SmackDown of the year, but we'll get to that in a little bit. I want to get started here today by first reminding all of you that, of course, we will be here on this podcasting platform wherever you listen to the Brandon's World Podcast every Monday and every Thursday, breaking down what happened in the National Football League on the previous Sunday and what will come on the next Sunday. On Mondays, the podcast will be out between, I would say, about 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And after the podcast is released, the clips will start to be uploaded to our YouTube channel, Brandon's World, which I will link in the description of this podcast. Also, by the way, please go follow the podcast or slash show at real underscore B-World on Twitter. And also follow me on my personal Twitter at Brandon Lewis underscore seven. On Thursdays, those will be uploaded by 9 a.m., because those will be recorded on Wednesdays, because I want to make sure that I get the spread down, and we get the picks, and everything like that, so I will make my picks on Wednesday, they will be uploaded on Thursday, now those lines may change, you know, but it didn't affect anything for week one, per se, Uh, you know, they may change by half a point here, a point there, which is a big deal in betting, I understand that, But again, just make that note that the lines I use for our Thursday picks will be a Wednesday recorded. The Monday podcast is going to be recorded on Monday morning and uploaded Monday afternoon. So just wanted to get those details out there. Thank you guys for supporting the podcast. And without further ado, man, let's get into what happened in the National Football League on this weekend, this great weekend, starting with Thursday Night Football, the Dallas Cowboys and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, I told you guys this on the podcast on Thursday. I said no matter what the line is, it was Tampa Bay 7.5, then it moved up to 8. I think it got up to 8.5 by game time. I said, take Dallas with the points. The Cowboys have three very good to great receivers. And Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and in my opinion, the best wide receiver on the team in CeeDee Lamb. They have a tremendous explosive offense. And if Dak Prescott is healthy, which he clearly was Thursday night, they're going to be able to put up points against the weakest part of Tampa Bay's defense, and that is their secondary. What I found interesting about this game is Tampa Bay pretty much said, okay, Dak's coming off the ankle surgery. He's got a shoulder issue. We are absolutely, positively, not going to let them run the ball. And Dallas realized it at the beginning. They said, oh, Tampa Bay is playing the nickel double-A gap defense. They're going to send everybody. They're going to play man-to-man the whole game. And they're not going to let us run the football. If Dak throws for 400, 500 yards and we win, they'll live with it. 
And so Mike McCarthy, the head coach, and Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator, said, okay, we're just going to throw the heck out of the football. And they never used Ezekiel Elliott, really. Uh, Tony Pollard in 20 snaps had 43 yards. I believe Zeke and I believe, what was it, 50 snaps had like 39 yards. So to me, when Ezekiel Elliott did get the football, he looked overwhelmed. He looked slow at times. He may have had a quicker burst than last year, but it still wasn't, you know, the rookie second year, even at Ohio State, Ezekiel Elliott. If Dallas is not going to be able to run the ball consistently, and by the way, folks, Dallas got two turnovers in this game. One on El Mary at the end of the half, which they almost scored on, but the one they did take advantage of. Actually, I believe they got three turnovers in the game. The Ronald Jones fumble, which got him benched, and then, of course, the Tom Brady screen pass to Warner Fournette that got intercepted. Uh, I believe that the uh, Cowboys won the turnover battle by three. They had one turnover, obviously, late in the game, but... You know, I really felt like the Cowboys outplayed the Bucs. Uh, I thought that speed option call, you know, early in the third quarter, I think the score was like 21 to 16 at that point. They called a third and goal from the two or the three. Cowboys run a speed option. Ezekiel Elliott doesn't run the safety over. Safety makes the tackle. The Cowboys have to kick the field goal. Uh, I would have went for it in that situation. You know, I felt like, you know, kicking field goals against teams like Tampa Bay and Kansas City, that's not how you beat them. You know, I'd rather, you know, die trying than give them the ball at the 25. I'd rather have them march 91 yards down the field for a touchdown as opposed to 75. Those, you know, 16, 15 yards is a huge difference, I feel like, in those types of games where you're right there. But credit the Cowboys. They definitely had an opportunity to win the game. Now, I did not think that was a push-off on Chris Godwin. I thought that was just great handwriting. Tom Brady does it again. Tom Brady in this offense just looks a lot more cohesive than last year. You know, they, they still have Antonio Brown. They got Mike Evans. They got Chris Godwin. They got Gronk. They really didn't even use Cameron Brady and O.J. Howard or Scotty Miller. You know, other weapons. This team is weapons galore. I'm very interested to see what they do in the running game with Giovanni Bernard out of the backfield. Tom Brady's version of James White here in Tampa Bay. You know, what they do between Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones. Because it looks like, the you know, Thursday night was the Leonard Fournette game. But will week two against Atlanta be the Ronald Jones game? Uh, we're going to have to see about that. But I thought both teams looked very good. And for Dallas, well, there are no moral victories in the NFL. I told you to take the points. I said Tampa Bay would win. But I said I had a hunch that Dallas would, would you know, I guess be the plus. That they would force Tampa Bay to not cover. And that's what happened. Uh, the other game that played at 1 o'clock in the NFC East for the Cowboys purposes, my Philadelphia Eagles. Of course, Nick Sirianni looking great in his first debut as a head coach. Uh, I was really worried about my Eagles early in this game. The first two drives, Mike Davis, Cordero Patterson, Calvin Ridley. I mean, Atlanta was just driving up and down the field on us. Matt Ryan looked really good. And then... What happened was we forced them into field goals, and we ended up capitalizing with touchdowns. Uh, you know, a nice play early in the game, nice first drive with Jalen Hurts. It was a little rub route, but not really a route, where Zach Ertz kind of ran his route, forcing the defender to go over the top of him. Easy touchdown for Devontae Smith. And I got to tell you, man, Jalen Hurts in this Nick Sirianni offense looked very comfortable. 
And I thought it was really interesting. The Eagles took only five snaps under center, and most of them were in the fourth quarter when the game was already wrapped up. Jalen Hurts was, you know, majority in the shotgun, no pistol, uh, and no under center. It was majority shotgun, a lot of bubble screens, a lot of read options, a lot of college concepts. Get Jalen Hurts comfortable. He ended up in Zach Ertz on a nice play, which I thought he could have thrown a better ball, but Ertz made a nice catch early on in the game. He threw a rocket to Dallas Goddard early in the game, and I was really surprised at how efficient our offense was. I would have liked Sirianni to stick to the run a little bit more. I was surprised Boston Scott did not play at all, though I like Keenan Gainwell a lot out of Memphis. I think Gainwell is going to be a huge addition to our offense, along with Mayo Sanders. And I was very pleased with how my defense played. I thought in the second half, Javon Hargrave, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Josh Sweat, Derek Barnett, you know, uh, Milton Williams, our defensive line really took the game over. We ended up stopping the run with Mike Davis, with Cordero Patterson. That forced Atlanta in third and long. And I really thought Arthur Smith in the second half called a very conservative game plan. And, you know, they were throwing a lot of short passes to Calvin Ridley. And they really didn't use Kyle Pitts that much. And my defense with Jonathan Gannon really quoted in on it. They were saying on the broadcast, Jonathan Gannon's mantra all season has been, don't let the ball get over the top of you. And the Eagles played a lot of zone defense. We did not play it on a man-to-man. We rallied. Now, there were definitely some, you know, pre-snap penalties. We jumped off sides during the game. Jordan Mawaya, our new left tackle that we just signed to a four-year extension, which I thought was a really good extension, by the way. Jordan Mawaya is just only going to get better and better. But he had some pre-snap penalties. Wayne Johnson had a holding penalty. So there was definitely some things that the Eagles had to clean up. But overall, I was really surprised. After the first quarter, did not allow a point. It was a really fun game to watch. And it was a refreshing game to watch from an Eagles perspective. And Philadelphia is one of them. And we're moving on to San Francisco next week. Now, this next game shocked me. Uh, and that was the Steelers-Bills game. Of course, Pittsburgh ends up winning this game 23-16. to However, Pittsburgh outscores Buffalo 23-6 to in the second half. It was 10-0 Buffalo at halftime. I thought this was a real defensive struggle. Josh Allen did not look good yesterday by any expense. Stephon Diggs looked pretty good at the receiver spot. It looked like they had some guys open. But Pittsburgh really blanketed down on Buffalo. And I think the thing that Brian Dable and this Bills offense is going to have to do next year is run the football no more this year because Pittsburgh literally dropped eight, nine people back and felt like and said, okay, Buffalo, your offensive line is good. It's not great. We feel like we have a really good pass rush with Cam Award and TJ Watt, and we're going to make you run the football. We're going to play pass coverage. And Buffalo did not run the football, and that's what hurt them. Josh Allen looked a little bit shaky. It looked like they thought that no one was going to be able to stop this offense. I think Buffalo needs to go back to the drawing board for Pittsburgh. I didn't think Ben Roethlisberger looked too particularly great. I didn't think their run game looked too particularly great. I didn't think the receivers looked too particularly great. But when you block punts, when you get turnovers, when you play good defense, that's the result of this game. And Pittsburgh in the second half really dominated the game. And you got to give credit to Pittsburgh. 
They still have one of the top five defenses in the National Football League, and it was on display yesterday in Buffalo. The raucous crowd, they said, was there since 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock a.m. in the morning, jumping through tables. Buffalo hasn't seen their fans in over a year and a half, and Pittsburgh spoiled the party. And credit to Pittsburgh, as they will go home next week. Pittsburgh will and take on the Las Vegas Raiders. Up next, a game between the Vikings and the Bengals. This was arguably, besides the Browns and Chiefs game, the best game of the Sunday yesterday. Now, the only reason why I picked Minnesota to win this game, and I thought this spread was really interesting because they had Minnesota minus three, and I said stay away from this game because I didn't know how Joe Burrow was going to work. I didn't know how, you know, Jamar Chase was going to work. I didn't know how that Bengals offense was really going to work. And the Bengals offense, it looked like early on they were a little tentative with Burrow. They didn't want him to throw a lot. They wanted them to get comfortable in the rhythm of the game. But it looked like once Joe Burrow took that first hit, and once Joe Burrow started to settle in, boom, touchdown to T. Higgins. Boom, touchdown to Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase was catching passes all over the place. And Joe Mixon and the Cincinnati Bengals one game came alive yesterday. Joe Mixon had over 120 yards rushing, and that's what's going to help a, a young quarterback. It looks like Burrow stayed clean most of the game. Now, the Bengals' defense, we know, still needs work. Obviously, Greg Joseph hitting a big 53-yard field goal at the end of regulation to send the game to overtime. Delvin Cook fumbles in overtime, or Minnesota may end up winning this game. But Joe Burrow was confident. The Bengals looked like that they were playing for Zach Taylor and Minnesota's defense. I heard a lot of talk about a revamped Vikings defense this offseason. I didn't buy it. I've never been a fan of Kirk Cousins. I love Dalvin Cook as much as I love Justin Jefferson, as much as I love Adam Thielen, who had a huge day yesterday. The Vikings are just overrated. I've said that going into the year, I'm going to stay with it. The Vikings are not that great of a football team, and they got a tough matchup next week going to Arizona. Cincinnati goes to Chicago. That's a very interesting game. That's a big game to me early between an AFC and an NFC team. See if Chicago can get off the snide. We're going to talk about them here in a minute. But the Vikings got a big game going to Arizona, who I'm going to talk about in about you know maybe one or two minutes. Arizona looked great. And I don't know how that Vikings defense is going to stop DeAndre Hopkins. So, good luck. I got to tell you, if you have a Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, and one of your fantasy leagues like I do, fire him up for week two. The next game was, I guess what you would call the Sam Darnold Bowl between the Carolina Panthers and the New York Jets. This was a very weird game. Scoreless after one quarter, a defensive battle. It looked like the Jets were in the game. Then Sam Darnold hits Robbie Anderson with like a 57 to 60 yard bomb. It looks like Carolina is going to blow the game open. They're up 16 to nothing. Then all of a sudden, the Jets come back and they get a touchdown. Zach Wilson throws his first career touchdown pass to Corey Davis, who looked good in spots, had some drops. Uh, the Jets cut it to 16-8. Now Carolina gets a field goal, so they're up 19. Obviously, the Jets would get one more touchdown. They would not convert the two, so the final at 19-14. But Carolina used Christian McCaffrey very well. I believe he had, what, 10-15 to 15 carries. I know he had 8-9 to nine catches out of the backfield. He's obviously the best player in fantasy football, and he's probably the best running back in all of the National Football League. So, to me, though, I, I was surprised. 
I thought Carolina would take more advantage of the Jets' weak secondary. I think their best number one corner is like a fifth, a sixth-round draft pick, something like that. Uh, so Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, who I've never really been a fan of either of them. I think they've both been a little bit overrated. I think Terrence Marshall is going to have a big year for them, and I think he's going to explore more in this offense than both of those two. I know that's a bold take, but what can you do? Um, and Carolina... They, they didn't really dominate the Jets' offensive line late in the game. They did early in the game, it felt like. But once Zach Wilson really settled in, boy, the Jets, I mean, they stayed competitive in a game that I wouldn't think that they would. And, hey, you know, we'll see what the Jets do. They host New England next week. Now, I don't think the Jets are going to be a good football team, but I got to say, man, I was a little bit impressed with how they hang in there with the Carolina Panthers. Next game here, we got the Chargers. Taking on the Washington football team. Now, this was a game that I was very shocked by. Uh, I was shocked at how piss poor Washington looked, even with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Taylor Heineke, who obviously came in. Ryan Fitzpatrick hurt his hip. Uh, you know, the only touchdown pass front of the game was Taylor Heineke to Logan Thomas, you know, early in the third quarter to give Washington a 16-13 lead. Chargers come back late. They get the touchdown. Justin Herbert, I believe it was to Mike Williams. So... The Chargers looked very good in Brandon Staley's first game. That's always tough going west to east coast early in the season. Washington's great defensive line, which is young, with Jonathan Allen, you know, with all those guys up front, and the Chargers with a brand new offensive line, a rookie left tackle. Corey Lindsey is a really good center, but it's his first game with the Chargers, and the Chargers looked like a very good team. They looked like a playoff team more than New England, more than Miami, more than Tennessee, more than Indy. They looked like a really good team. And Washington looked like a team that I said last year only won the division because of Alex Smith. Because Alex Smith did not turn the football over and they had a very good defense. That's why they won the division. I didn't think they were a very good football team last year, but they had the best coach and they had the best quarterback playing in the division at the end of the year. That is what mattered. And I said Washington wasn't going to win the division. I said Washington was going to finish in third place. And right now, after week one, they look like the third best team in the NFC East. Now, Jacksonville and Houston, I think this is a game we all got wrong. I did not expect Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer to look as bad as they did. I did not expect David Culley and Tyrod Taylor to look as good as they did. And Mark Ingram and Brandon Crooks. I mean, Jacksonville's defense looked like the worst defense in the National Football League. They were letting Brandon Crooks fly all, all over them. They looked Tyrod Taylor, looked like the Tyrod Taylor from Buffalo, the Pro Bowl quarterback. And it was just a disgusting mess from Jacksonville, man. Trevor Lawrence, they let him throw 51 times. I don't understand that. They're not really using James Robinson that much in the run game. It's more in the pass game. I thought the Jacksonville game plan was poor. I thought Houston looked ready to play. Jacksonville did not look ready to play. And, hey, that's the result. And maybe this Urban Meyer experiment, who knows, could it last only one year? I think that's a question that we have to ask ourselves right now. Because Urban Meyer looked outcoached, he looked unprepared, his players looked uninspired, and Trevor Lawrence did not look like the number one pick in the draft. 
as much talent as Trevor Lawrence has, as much as he threw three touchdowns, which again, in garbage time, man, you gotta look at these stats, most of these stats were in garbage time, Trevor Lawrence did not look great yesterday, uh, I would say that out of all you know, three quarterbacks out of the rookies that played significant time. Trevor probably looked the worst. Mac Jones, which I'll talk about here in a minute, probably did look the best. Uh, but, you know, I thought it was very interesting, man. Trevor Lawrence, as much as I love the kid, as much as I thought Jacksonville had some good receivers with DJ Chark and Chenault, they, um, they looked bad. Houston looked better than them. And I never thought I would say that. They looked like that they were an inspired football team that wanted to get that knock of everybody thinking that they were going to go to 0-17 off their back. Now, with that said, Houston's defense is not very good. And the Browns should be able to roll them next week. But for at least the first game, Tyrod Taylor looked like the Buffalo Tyrod Taylor again. And Trevor Lawrence looked like a deer in headlights. Next game, Seattle and the Colts. Now, this is one of those games that I said you should absolutely take Seattle. The line went up to three. When I made my picks, the line was at two and a half. I thought the Colts' offensive line looked overwhelmed. I thought without T.Y. Hilton, the Colts' receivers did not look as good. I thought at times Carson Wentz looked very good when he was throwing to his running backs, Jonathan Taylor, Najim Hines, when he was in rhythm. And I thought other times when his first read wasn't there, he looked like the Carson Wentz from 2020. Indianapolis does not look like a playoff team from what I saw. Russell Wilson was doing what no team did to the Colts last year. Throw over their head. At one point, Tyler Lockett had three catches for 98 yards and two touchdowns. That means it was two bombs. And one of them was perfect 60-yard rope. Seattle was always good in the Eastern time zone. Russell Wilson is always good in week one. Indy met a buzzsaw this week. They're going to meet a buzzsaw next week as well in the Los Angeles Rams. The good news for the Colts right now is the Texans are in sole place in the division at 1-0. And they are only 0-1. And Tennessee has a tough game next week against Seattle. Indy has a tough game against the Rams. Houston has a tough game against the Browns. Jacksonville has a very interesting game with Denver. And so, even if Indy falls to 0-2... And by the way, the next week, Indy and Tennessee play each other. So one of those teams is going to be 0-3, I think, in my opinion. So, you know, even if you fall to 0-3, the division leader may be only 1-2. I don't think this is going to be a NFC East situation from last year. But these guys have a gauntlet on their schedule this year with the NFC West, who by far to me, along with the AFC North, but I think the NFC West looked better, is the best division in football. Everybody is currently 1-0. and Seattle looked very good. Their defense looked buttoned up. Their ash rush got home. And be on the lookout for Seattle. I think they win 11-12 games this season. Up next, I told you guys to take this game. This is probably the game I'm most proud of this week because everybody, and I mean everybody, was saying take Tennessee minus three. And I said, no, give me Arizona plus three. Chandler Jones made Taylor Ruan look like a chew toy. He had five sacks in this game, including three in the first quarter. Tennessee could not protect. It looked like Ryan Tannehill was lost without Arthur Smith. Arizona stopped the run with Derrick Henry, and don't kid yourself, Tennessee has two great receivers. They have two probably top 10, top 15 receivers in the NFL. I would say top 10. 
with A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. But I said it on the podcast Thursday. I said Arizona is going to be better than Tennessee this year. Arizona, not only do they have DeAndre Hopkins, not only do they have Christian Kirk, not only do they have Larry Fitzgerald, but they added A.J. Green. That's a big number four weapon. They also have Rondale Moore, I believe, that they drafted. I want to be more high on them. They added James Conner out of Pittsburgh, who along with Chase Edmonds, by the way, James Conner looked better than, to me, Najee Harris did. Pittsburgh's offensive line got pushed back a lot. Um, you know, Arizona's offensive line really dominated Tennessee's defensive line. Tennessee did not make any defensive improvements in the offseason. And listen, folks, Kyler Murray is a special player. He threw a ball to DeAndre Hopkins. It's going to be a top play of the week. The way DeAndre Hopkins got his two feet down in the first play was unbelievable. The way he made that second catch, the spin, and right into the end zone was great. Kyler Murray running around, making it look like it was Madden, making plays all over the place. I said, I don't think Kyler Murray is going to be the MVP, but he is, a, I guess, what you would call a dark horse MVP candidate. It's one of the reasons why in one of my auction fantasy football drafts this year, I overpaid for Kyler Murray and I overpaid for DeAndre Hopkins because I think they may be the best stack in fantasy football. I love Kyler Murray. To me, he's QB number three in fantasy football right behind Patrick Mahomes. And I would even, you know, number two is a little bit of a debate in there with Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Tom Brady. Kyler Murray is definitely in that conversation, though. And Arizona looked great. I've been high on Arizona the last two years. J.J. Watt makes a real difference because now you have two pass rushers. You don't just have one. As long as Cliff Kingsbury doesn't blow games, Arizona is going to make the playoffs this season. Mark it down. Up next, the Niners and the Lions. Now, this game I thought was over. Uh, Jared Goff early on looked very good. He was hitting T.J. Hawkinson. He was hitting DeAndre Swift. All of a sudden, the Niners heated them up. They got defensive stops. They, they got a pick six. Jimmy Garoppolo was on a roll. Trey Lance even came in and threw a touchdown pass out of the Wildcat package, which I thought was interesting the way the Niners and Bears both used their rookie signal callers. The Bears brought in Justin Fields a lot, as we saw on Sunday night. I think San Francisco only brought in Trey Lance for maybe a couple plays, but he threw a touchdown pass. He's looking confident. I think he's going to be in there by the end of Week 5. If you ask me, I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to stay healthy. But the Niners defense and the coaching staff thought the game was over. And they want the Lions relax. And Jared Goff threw for almost 300 yards. They had a chance to win the game late. Now the Lions don't have great receivers. And Nicholas St. Brown may be their number one by the end of the year. Tyrell Williams, uh, Queef and Cephas. They don't have great targets. TJ Hawkinson's obviously their best. And they have a good running back in DeAndre Swift. But... The Niners should have dominated this game, and the line on this game ended up being eight and a half, and the Lions plus a half. So San Francisco did not cover because they would have had to win by nine to cover. They only won by eight. Incredible comeback by the Lions. You know, as the great Pat McAfee would say, MCDC, Motor City, Dan Campbell, with all of his coaches on the staff being former players. They didn't look great at the beginning, but they looked great at the end. And, you know, the Lions are always a very tricky team to predict. They should be terrible. They end up winning four to five games. San Francisco comes to Philadelphia next week, which I think should be a very interesting game. San Francisco, for the second straight week to start the year, making two East Coast trips. This one outside and not in a dome with the Eagles coming off a win. 
Very interesting to see. That pass rush looks back, though, with Nick Bosa. San Francisco, we know, is a very good defensive line. They're right there to me with Arizona, the Rams, Seattle. It's anybody's game in, the, in that NFC West. But I'd be concerned if I was a Niners fan with that defense. Now, one of the games that shocked me the most this weekend was the Denver Giants game. The Giants looked absolutely atrocious. Daniel Jones looked like I thought he was the worst quarterback in football, but their defense looked bad. Vic Vangio outcoached Joe Judge by a mile. Now, Denver, obviously, a huge loss for them in Jerry Judy, but they have good weapons. Corwin Sutton, Tim Patrick, KJ Amwer, but Jerry Judy is obviously the number one pick from last year. You don't really want to lose him. Their defense, though. Von Miller with a couple of sacks. They got over that bad Giants offensive line. Sterling Shepard broke free. That was about the highlight of the day for the Giants. They couldn't run the ball with Saquon Barkley or Wayne Goldman. Uh, again, Joe Judge's team looked lost out there. Teddy Bridgewater looked composed. He got the ball out. They moved the chains. They ran the football. Melvin Gordon only had 11 carries, but he went for over 100 yards. And Denver... If Denver gets this type of play out of their defense and quarterback play, Denver is a sneaky team. Again, I know it's week one. It's week one overreaction, but they looked better than the Colts. They looked better than the Titans. They looked better than Buffalo. They looked better than New England. They looked better than Miami. So, you know, I wouldn't say they looked better than the Chargers because, I mean, the Chargers looked very good. It's just Washington's defense is better than the Giants' defense. But Denver... I don't think they're going to be very good, but this was an impressive week one performance. And, you know, the next game on the docket, there's not a lot to say here. The Saints pounding the Packers 38-3. to Besides, what the hell is Aaron Rodgers doing? And Jameis Winston with that wasted eye surgery threw for five touchdowns, no picks. Looked like a franchise quarterback. Aaron Rodgers looked like he quit on his team. He only got me one fantasy point. Aaron Jones only got me four fantasy points. That Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones connection, even though I don't have them together in a week, I thought separately they could give me a lot of points. Somehow I'm losing in a fantasy week, 148 to 141. And that tells you the amount of scoring that went on this weekend. Green Bay scored the lowest amount of points at three. Atlanta scored the next lowest at 6. After that, the next lowest was 13. So there was a lot of, you know, high-scoring games. Uh, Green Bay and Atlanta, two very high-powered offenses, got shut down by Philadelphia and the Saints. The Saints, they just looked ready to play. I talked about this on Thursday's podcast. According to various reports, Sean Payton and the Saints did research and found out Aaron Rodgers plays terrible in Florida, and they wanted to play in Jacksonville as their home. And so, obviously, everybody in New Orleans recovers from Hurricane Ida, which, again, God bless those people out there. I hope everybody out there, you know, if, if you're struggling, I hope that you are doing okay. But from a football perspective, Alvin Kamara looks great. Jameis Winston looks great. The defense looks great. Green Bay's offensive line, obviously, no David Bontiari, no Corey Lindsay anymore. It looked like more of a problem than I thought it was going to be. And Green Bay, thank God for them, next Monday night, they get the Lions at home. Because they should be able to roll. And if they don't roll, or if Detroit upsets them, look out. This is going to be a very interesting game to watch next Monday night on football. On Monday Night Football, New Orleans goes to Carolina. That's a very interesting game. 
They just said Carolina didn't look very good in the preseason. I had them over New Orleans. The Saints looked very good. Who knows if that was the emotion for playing for the fans of New Orleans because of the hurricane and if they're going to drop next week. Who knows what Matt Rule's going to do with the Saints. That's going to be a very interesting game to watch next week in the 1 o'clock window. So, but, yeah. Pretty much all I'd say about this. Saints looked great. Aaron Rodgers had two bad picks. It was a bad day for the Packers. We'll see how they respond next week. And up next, we have Tua Tagovailoa outdoing New England by one. Now, this game was not won by Tua and the Dolphins. This game, in my opinion, was lost by New England to Damian Harris from away. Don't be surprised if Damian Harris gets benched next week by Belichick after he gave him 23 carries for fumbling the ball. You know Belichick's not going to love that. You know, we should see if Rashawn Stevenson or James White is available in your fantasy week because I expect them to get the poke of the carries next week. Who knows, Belichick may even release Damian Harris. But Mac Jones looked pretty good. He looked comfortable. Nelson Aguilar looks like his number one receiver, though he's got two tight ends in Janu Smith and Hunter Henry. You know, New England, though, they didn't score a lot of touchdowns. Mac Jones threw one touchdown to Nelson Aguilar. That was it. Miami got in the end zone twice. Tua looking for Jalen Waddle, who I didn't think was better than Devontae Smith on Alabama, but he looked pretty good yesterday. They got Tua a weapon, just like Philadelphia got Jalen Hurts a weapon. And we'll see. You know, as you guys know, I was very down on Tua Tagovailoa entering this year. I didn't think he was the guy. I would have moved off him. I would have drafted Trey Lance. I would have just rebooted the thing. But Miami won with good defense. They won with takeaways. They got Mac Jones off his spot. They looked better than New England yesterday. By a game. Now, again, I know they won by a point, and I know New England should have won the game. But overall, I thought Miami outplayed New England, especially early in the game. I thought New England went too basic with, with their offensive personnel. And the Patriots and the Jets next week. And we'll see. Robert Sala, San Francisco, that defense. Last year with the Niners, they rolled New England. We will see what happens when the Jets play New England. I think New England is way better talent-wise than the Jets. I think they're going to be able to use that tight ends and win those games easily. But division games are always tricky. And so if the Jets come out, if they play New England well, even if the Jets do upset New England, Patriots fall to 0-2, it's not a good look. Now, excuse me while I adjust my microphone really quick. Sorry about that for the echoing on this podcast. I did hit my microphone. Um, But... You know, Tua looked okay, as I said. New England, Mac Jones looked okay. And we're just going to have to see. Both of these teams don't have a lot of offensive weapons, but Miami looked like the better team yesterday. New England, they better come out next week and respond against the Jets. Miami, by the way, I believe they host Buffalo. You know, Buffalo's going to be angry. I don't think Miami's going to be able to keep up with Buffalo's prolific offense. But if Miami can shut down Buffalo again, not only is there going to be trouble for the Buffalo Bills, but um, there's going to be inspiration here from the Miami Dolphins if they pour to win at home next week. And the game I know that you all want me to get to. The Cleveland Browns and the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, I thought the only mistake Kevin Stefanski made was the call that led to the Jamie Gillen muff punt. And again, Jamie Gillen, yes, I know, he should have kicked the football. Yes, that was a disaster. Yes, it cost the Browns the game. But hear me out. I think it was a 4th and 5 at that point. The Browns are up, what was it, 
29 to 20 at that point. I can't recall. I don't know if it was 29, 27. I, I can't recall if that was after the Tyreek Hill play or before. I apologize. But you have fourth and five at your own 10. If you don't get it, okay, you're pretty much giving the Chiefs points. But you haven't stopped the Chiefs all day. So what do you want Patrick Mahomes to do? Take more time off the clock? Because when he did give him the ball, uh, all he did was throw to Tyreek Hill for 50 yards. Boom, one play touchdown. And that felt like the game was over. Now, I know the Browns got the ball back. Baker Mayfield did turn the ball over at the end. I don't want to hear the excuse Tony Romo was making that he tried to throw the football away. You just can't make that play. He's brought down from behind. You just got to eat the sack at that point. You feel somebody coming, just eat the sack, call your timeout at that point, and, hey, we live with it. But at the end of the day... The Browns played great. I thought they played a very aggressive first half. I love the, def- the decision by Stefanski going for too early. It sent a message. The Browns looked like they could play with Kansas City. But at the end of the day, you only stopped them one time. And Patrick Mullins was spectacular. And I count that muff punt by Jamie Gill in a turnover. I'm not sure if that's an official turnover or not. I don't have the box score right in front of me. But obviously the Baker interception, the Nick Chubb fumble, which at that point it was, I believe, 29-20, to 20, and the Browns were going to try to go down and make it a three-possession game, which would have been absolutely huge, by the way, to go up three possessions at that point. That would have put the game away. But you can't commit three turnovers to Kansas City zero and win the football game. You can't give up 11 receptions to Tyreek Hill for 200 yards and expect to have a great chance to win the football game. I get it. The Browns had a chance to win the football game on the last drive, but they didn't. They came up short. They were up 22-10 at halftime, and they got outscored 23-7 in the second half. I thought Stefanski went a little too conservative early, and this is going to be a learning stick for the Browns. As much as good as Baker Mayfield played, he threw for just under 300 yards. The interception and the turnovers are going to kill them. Now, the Browns are a very good football team. Don't get me wrong. I think they make the AFC Championship game this season. I think we see this matchup again in the AFC Championship game in Kansas City. And I will give the Browns a better chance to win that game because I thought the Browns had no chance to win this game with nine new defensive starters. It's going to take some time for that defense to get in, you know, sing in, you know, I guess collaboration. John Johnson, obviously, overrunning on the play. That Tyreek Hill scored that huge bomb, which is the most Patrick Mahomes thing I've ever seen. But you do have to come away from this game thinking, man, we had him. And we let the game slip away with turnovers. I know Stefanski's going to beat on it. And the other thing I will say, which is a huge loss for the Browns, is Dredrick Wills. If Dredrick Wills misses any significant time, I know a lot of people say that Hubbard could be a starting tackle for anybody else in the league. Well, there's a reason why they replaced him with Wills in the 2020 draft. There's a reason why Baker Mayfield got killed in 2019. Now, as much as Bill Callahan is a great offensive line coach and he may be able to fix Hubbard, uh, Chris Jones for the Chiefs, I thought, took over the game, went on that left side and really buried him later in the football game once they figured out he was in there and they could take advantage of those looks one-on-one. And so for, for the Browns, you know, it's very rare what the Browns had last year. 
And that was most of their offensive linemen stayed healthy for most of the year. You know, it's a bigger loss to lose a tackle than it is a guard. Because the center and the other guard can kind of help out one of the guards. Because the center's in the middle, the guards play inside. There's a lot of double teaming. There's not a lot of one-on-one blocks you have to make. If you're a tackle, there's a lot of one-on-one blocks you have to make. Especially if it's five-on-five. Especially, you know, if they come up the A-gap with a linebacker, usually a guard will chip in. Usually the tackle is always one-on-one. Usually. Unless you bring four, then you can maybe slide to one side and help out your tackle. But, losing Jedrick Wills is a bigger issue. And I thought, interestingly enough, as good as I thought Nick Chubb ran the football, I thought Kareem Hunt looked more explosive. And I thought Kansas City in the second half stayed patient. They ran the football a little bit more with Clyde Edwards aware than I expected. Patrick Mahomes looked really good. And this is the team to beat in the, in the AFC. And the last game that happened, Sunday Night Football, Rams-Bears. Now, this is a game that, man, I wish the Bears would have started Justin Fields in. I mean, Chicago took care, of, uh, took care of Aaron Donald pretty well. By the way, hot take. I always thought Aaron Donald is a little bit overrated. Just like Miles Garrett. Every time I watch him, it may be because he's getting double teamed or triple teamed, but he's not making significant plays. I don't see best defensive lineman in football to me. But again, that's just me. Um, I thought Matthew Stafford looked pretty good. I will admit it. I've never been a Matthew Stafford fan, but he looked good. Obviously, the two deep balls. But Chicago, Andy Dalton is not mobile. You have, you're down to your third left tackle. Jason Peters couldn't move at all. Your other tackle got hurt. You're down to your third left tackle. The only way Chicago had a chance to win this game was with Justin Fields. That was a game where you miss Justin Fields. You miss even Mitchell Trubisky's mobility over Andy Dalton. I get it. Andy Dalton's probably a better quarterback than Mitch Trubisky, but you missed the mobility. That's what the Bears needed. Mobility, the read option, the bubble screen. Keep the Rams on balance. David Montgomery looks great as a running back, but they don't have that element. Uh, Chris Collinsworth mentioned, you know, last time the broadcast, with bringing over Marquise Goodwin, they tried to add some speed to the offense, but it's not going to matter when Andy Dalton always doing is throwing three-yard passes. And the Rams cooled in on it. I thought Jalen Ramsey and Cooper Cup were the two best players on the field last night. Cooper Cup dominated their receiver. Jalen Ramsey dominated their corner. And the Rams dominated the Bears. And the Bears, again, they have a home game next week against Cincinnati. We'll get into that on Thursday. That's a very toss-up game to me. And we'll see what the Bears do. I think Andy Dome's going to start. I think he's going to start against the Browns. And I think week four at home in Chicago, Justin Fields makes his first start. I've been on that from the beginning. So I'm not going to overreact. But trust me, there were some points in this game. At one point, the Bears were only down by six. And they just condensed out the Rams. And the Rams took over from there. And again, just like Seattle, Arizona, and San Francisco, the Rams looked very good. So to recap here, uh, I at Tampa Bay over Dallas. I got that right. I did have Atlanta over my Eagles, so I got that wrong. I had Washington over the Chargers, so I got that wrong. I had Buffalo over Pittsburgh, so I got that wrong. I had Carolina over the Jets, I got that right. I had uh, Minnesota over Cincinnati, wrong. Seattle over Indy, correct. Um, Arizona against Tennessee, correct. Houston and Jacksonville, I had Jacksonville, so that would be a wrong. San Francisco and Detroit was a right, 
Broncos and Giants was a wrong. I had the Giants. I had Green Bay over New Orleans, so that's a wrong. I had New England over Miami. That's a wrong. I had Kansas City, and I had the Rams, so those were both right. In total, I am 7-8 and eight in my picks. If Baltimore wins tonight, I have Baltimore over Vegas. I will take Baltimore in that game. I think regardless of the Le'Veon Bell situation, regardless of Gus Edwards, regardless of J.K. Dobbins, I think this Tyson Wayne's going to have a great game. Vegas doesn't have a great defensive line. I think Baltimore's going to be able to bully and run all over them. So Baltimore is right. I will get to 8-8 eight and eight for Week 1. But there was a lot of surprises. Uh, along with, by the way, my best bets that I had, I had Washington minus a half. So that was wrong. At the time of the recording, Seattle was minus two and a half. That line went up to three. No matter what, I would have got that right. So that's one and one right there. Arizona plus three, I got that right. But the next two, Jacksonville minus two and a half. And then I'm going up to minus three. That was wrong. New England, I had a minus two and a half. Then it ended up going minus three, and that was wrong. So I went two and f two out of five. So I had two right and three wrong in my best bets. So not the best week one. You know, a lot of surprises. I was surprised really at how well my Eagles played against Atlanta. I was surprised with how piss poor Buffalo played against Pittsburgh. I was surprised with how good the Bengals played against the Vikings. I was surprised with how good Houston played against Jacksonville. I was surprised at Denver. I was surprised at Miami. I was surprised about New Orleans. So there was a lot of games that I did not expect to happen, and that was the beauty of the National Football League in Week 1. Now I want to finish off today really quickly, really quickly here, talking about Friday Night Smackdown. From MSG that took place the day before 9-11. Now, I thought, by the way, the tribute to 9-11, I thought WWE's documentary about them becoming the first show to come back after after kind of the 9-11 tragedy, uh, you, you know, obviously be the first public gathering that Thursday in Houston. I thought the documentary was great. Go watch it on YouTube. But I thought this show was absolutely the best SmackDown of the year. Brock Lesnar returning. The whole Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns, Paul Amon. I mean, this is a tremendous storyline. You know, Brock Lesnar coming out and saying that Paul Amon knew he was going to be at SummerSlam. Well, Paul Amon has been with the Tribal Chief for the last year and a half. We're going to have to see. Eventually, Paul Amon's going to have to make a choice. Will we go with the new guy, the Tribal Chief, the head of the table, the Universal Champion, Roman Reigns? Or will we go with his old client, the beast incarnate, Brock Lesnar? It's going to be very interesting to see where they do this match. Will they do it in Saudi Arabia? Will they do it at Survivor Series? Will they wait till the Rumble or WrestleMania 38 Series World in Dallas? Only time will tell, but the crowd was very out for this segment, even saying that Heyman effed up. Uh, Fox had to mute the crowd audio because they were swearing so much. I mean, it was great seeing Brock Lesnar almost at five, Paul Heyman, Roman Reigns with the Superman punch. Then, obviously, later in the night, Roman Reigns costing the Street Profits, the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. Finn Bauer, Demon Finn Bauer returning. We are getting Universal Champion Roman Reigns versus the Demon Finn Bauer at Extreme Rules for the Universal Championship. Going to be a very awesome match. Bringing out Trey Young to troll Knicks fans was awesome. Pat McAfee lost his mind. 
Edge and Seth Rollins had one of the best matches of the year. I think it was possibly the match of the year. Obviously, the great storytelling with Seth Rollins putting Edge down like a dog. Now Edge is going to take his fall off. It looks like Seth Rollins now, after Roman Reigns defeats the Demon at Extreme Rules. You still have Seth Rollins in line for a Universal Championship match. He's still Big E, who's looking to cash in his Money in the Bank contract, which, by the way, I don't think he should cash in there. I think he should go to Monday Night Raw and cash in on Bobby Lashley. Uh, because of the mere fact that Roman Reigns has too many challengers for the Universal Championship. I already mentioned Finn Bauer, Seth Rollins. When Edge returns, you know, he's going to want a shot at the Universal Championship. The Rock may be looming down the line. Brock Lesnar. So, Big E, man. I mean, Bobby Lashley doesn't have any challengers for the WWE Championship. It's why they're doing Bobby Lashley versus Randy Orton for the WWE Championship tonight on Monday Night Raw. It's why the Raw Tag Team Champion Randy Orton is in the WWE Championship match because Raw doesn't have any babyface challengers for Bobby Lashley. I mean, the drought's going to be very interesting. I'm going to be coming out with an article pretty soon on my predictions for the draft, but Raw needs to add some new faces, man. Like, Damian Priest has no challengers for the United States Championship. It's why Sheamus is challenging him again at Extreme Rules. There's really no challengers for Charlotte Flair in the Raw Women's Division. It's why they have to put in Alexa Bliss at Extreme Rules. There's really no challengers for Bobby Lashley. I mean, Raw's old main focus right now is the tag team division with AJ Styles and Amos, with Randy Orton and Riddle. And I'm glad that it feels like WWE is finally focusing on tag teams. You know, the tag team turmoil was the main event of Monday Night Raw. The tag team championship was the main event of a terrific, spectacular Friday Night Smackdown on Fox. So maybe WWE is starting to focus on tag team wrestling, but it is taking away from a Raw roster that's using Jeff Hardy in the 24-7 championship scene instead of using him in the WWE Championship or United States Championship picture. So, I'm very curious to see what they do with Raw, but this SmackDown bang, man. I mean, SmackDown's the number one show. Even Bianca Belair getting the crowd to boo Becky Lynch, who now, in my opinion, is officially turned EO as the new SmackDown Women's Champion. I was surprised Sasha Banks didn't return, but maybe she returns at Extreme Rules after Bianca and Becky Lynch tear the house down in Columbus Nationwide Arena in two weeks. But SmackDown, man, SmackDown didn't even have time for Happy Corbin. They didn't even have time for the Sonya Deville-Naomi storyline. They didn't have time for really anything but the matches they produced. Again, Edge and Rollins was excellent. They're probably going to have one blowout match, maybe at the Royal Rumble. I don't see this feud ending yet. But again, Edge still wants Roman Reigns. Seth Rollins wants Roman Reigns. Finn Balor wants Roman Reigns. Brock Lesnar wants Roman Reigns. Big E wants Roman Reigns. That's the way it should be. Everybody in the brand gunning for the Universe Champion. At this point on Raw, really nobody but Randy Orton wants Bobby Lashley. And so SmackDown's got the top storylines right now. Happy Corbin, again, didn't even make the air. We still don't know what's going on with Sami Zayn's conspiracy theory. Ray and Dominic look like they could be breaking up pretty soon in the tag team division. You know, you still got, again, Bianca and Becky and everything going on with Roman Reigns. The top storylines in the business are all on Friday night, and I can't wait to see what goes on this Friday in Knoxville, Tennessee. So that brings us to the end of the podcast. So if you guys like the podcast, make sure to give us a follow again on Twitter at Real underscore P-Word. Also follow my personal Twitter 
at Brandon Lewis underscore seven. It was a great Sunday and Thursday night in the National Football League. We will be back here on Thursday when we make our best bets for week two and my week one NFL picks. And hopefully Baltimore wins tonight. Hopefully I enter week two at eight and eight, and then we can get above 500 in week two. Very tough to pick week one. A lot of road teams won. The only people that covered were Carolina, Seattle, Denver, and the Rams. That's it. Those were the four. Again, Seattle, the Rams, Denver, Carolina. Those were the only four teams that covered. And so if you were a better, you probably lost a lot of money this weekend. That's the way it works. A lot of surprise week one, but I enjoyed it. Go ahead, football is back. And hopefully you guys are enjoying the podcast. And we will see you guys next time. Peace.